Well, some of you will know, probably most of you will know, that in the United States of America, the 4th of July is the day when they celebrate the signing of their Declaration of Independence from us. The Declaration of Independence. And uh, that's a national holiday that they remember then uh, each year, uh, the, the founding of their nation, so to speak. Uh, I'm not sure, I was trying to think which critical event you could highlight for the founding of the, the United Kingdom. In some ways, our country's a, a lot older, uh, perhaps because our patriotism is perhaps a bit of a lower key. We don't feel the, the need for quite so many fireworks and that kind of thing. The, the closest thing I could think of is the Battle of Hastings, I suppose, uh, in 1066 when the Normans invaded Kent defeating the Anglo-Saxon armies of King Harold and establishing the current monarchy. Uh, but we don't really celebrate that every year, I suppose. There's a few, few reenactment societies that'll do it, but most of the rest of us don't really care. Uh, although, interestingly, I did find out that uh, in order to commemorate 200 years of American independence... Some Americans helped the UK government buy the site of the Battle of Hastings. How mad is that? That is just ridiculous. What's the point of that? It seems a very strange way to commemorate American independence, buying the site of the Battle of Hastings. But anyway, uh, well, my name's Ian. As many of you will know, I'm one of the elders here at REC, and it is my privilege to look into this uh, book. We're in the middle of our series in the book of Exodus that we've called Who is Like You? Who is Like You? And we're, we're in the middle of a, a big block of narrative that runs from chapter 11 through to about the middle of chapter 13, which, which in one sense is one narrative. It's quite hard to, to subdivide. Uh, however, the, there's so much packed into here that we're going we're gonna to miss a lot of stuff if we were to just do it in one one big sermon. So we've, we've divided it up uh, and we're looking at it over several weeks. Paul started us off last week with that. And this week we're looking at what's called the, the Passover, the Passover itself. So we're not like the American uh, Decla- uh, Declaration of Independence, 4th of July. We're looking at what happened on that day. We're not looking at what happened when it got commemorated every year. Look at what happened on that day, that night, I suppose. One writer calls the Passover, if you want a definition of the Passover, the benefit of God's passing over judging someone provided through a substitute. The, the benefit of God's, of God's passing over judging someone provided through a substitute. And we're going to look at that today under uh, four headings. Uh, New beginning, the lamb, the blood, and passed over. So a new beginning, the lamb, the blood, and passed over. And I hope that, that through this we're going to have a better idea of who God is and who his people are. Who God is and who his people are. Let's dive in, verses uh, 1 through to 3, a new beginning. If you were summarising the Bible in a fairly short essay, this surely is one of the critical moments that you're going to be referring to, one of the places you're going to be highlighting. It's right in the middle of of the whole story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, the story of how God is going to save a people 
for himself. And in fact, as, as we, the events that we're reading in this sort of chapters 11, 12, 13, they're going to be referred to over and over again in the Bible. Over and over again, we're going to see them being repeated in order to teach the theological truths which are at the centre of the Christian faith. And they're right here in these, in these chapters. Look there in verse 2, God, God is talking to Moses and Aaron and he says, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. These events are going to be so fundamental in the life of Israel. They're going to be f so fundamental in the founding of the nation of Israel. Change your calendar. Change the calendar so that this is now the first month. Just to reflect how, how important that actually is. But there's another way uh, in verse 3, I think, where you could, you could say that this is a new beginning. Verse 3, notice there, it says, tell the whole community of Israel. Tell the whole community of Israel. This is the first time when God refers to his people in this way. Uh, up until now, uh, there's been a sense in which God has usually spoken to an individual or to a group of individuals. But now he's going to speak to a nation, a nation who is carving out for himself, a nation who is saying, they're mine, they're my people, in a corporate way. And in this case, as I say, that's through the prophet Moses. But even so, that gives them one sense of a new beginning, but even so, the Israelites at this point do not really understand the importance of what's going to happen. It seems pretty certain from these instructions that they, they know that their, their liberation, their freedom from this crushing slavery that Pharaoh has held them under, that that's about to take place. But what they've probably not understood at this point is that these instructions are going to be about how to survive the judgment of God. How to survive the judgment of God against their, their sin. And at first, as we're, as we're reading through this, this, uh, these, these chapters, it's easy to see these events as being judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We get that, we see that. And, and yeah, sure, they're going to be judged as, in, under this. However, remember the Israelites are under exactly the same judgment. They're under exactly the same judgment as the Egyptians and Pharaoh. There's going to be a death in every one of these households. In each household of Egypt, there will be a death because of the sin of the people in those houses. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many people are included in the word all? All. Everybody. The survival of the Israelites is going to depend on, as we talked about the Passover a moment ago, God passing over judging them. By being, that being provided through a substitute. It's going to depend on them having faith in God and following his instructions. Let's follow that. Let's look at those instructions. Secondly, then, the lamb, verses 3 to 11. God gives a very specific set of instructions 
for what the Israelites are to to do to to prepare for the tenth plague that's coming. There's different there's different sort of aspects to it. Um, one is timing, the timing that God talks to them about and gives them instructions about. The lamb is going to have to be selected on the tenth day of the month. That lamb is going to be slaughtered and eaten on round about twilight on the 14th day of the month and then it says that the the god will will judge them as passed through later what 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 we'll know is the 10th plague later that same night so three specific things about the timing very very particular uh also there's something here about the attendees who's to be there this is a this is a family affair it's happening in the in the home it's not happening in a temple it's not happening in a in a church or out in the fields it's in household this passover meal is to be taken in households if the household is too small verse four then they were to eat it with their near neighbors this is going to be important because the israelites had to figure out how much lamb they need so if you figure out how much lamb you need how many people are going to be there how hungry are they how much how much lamb they need and for the lamb uh, notice the lamb is to be one year old with no blemishes and that once they've killed it the blood of the lamb is going to be smeared on the door frame the top of the door frame and the two sides of the door frame of the house where the family is eating we're going to be coming back to that a lot in a, in a little while uh, the recipe for the meals it's not exactly Delia uh, the recipe for the meal is going to be is going to be uh, take your lamb uh, drain the blood out of it put it on one side to be used later put on the door frames uh, roast the lamb over a fire no need to worry about cutting any bits off cut the whole thing cook the whole thing uh, garnish with bitter herbs and eat with a side portion of bread made without yeast. I don't think that would have, you'll find that in a Delia book, but that's God's recipe for the Passover meal. The bitter herbs, uh, a lot of debate about the bitter herbs. They might have been there just because the lamb would taste very sweet as a culinary thing. It might have been to remind the, the Israelites about the, the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. Could be either. Uh, but as well as a recipe god gives so not only how to cook the meal god's going to give instructions how to eat the lamb uh, the speed at which they're to eat it uh, this this meal is about haste it's about eating it quickly one reason for no lamb being left over in the morning uh, you'll see there in verse five um, uh, they're trying to make sure that there's uh, enough lamb but not too much lamb yeah they don't want any leftover in the morning so that you've got to worry about the leftovers and thinking about what we're going to do with the leftovers there's going to be no faffing about you know should we put it in the fridge should we send it off to another you know no there's no lamb left because we we got to go yeah we got to we got to leave we got to go so uh we were we were around at the Jones's house on Friday night, and so Jane, beforehand, tried to figure out how many people were going to come, so she could figure out how much 
steak in this case was going to be cooked and so she wanted to know how hungry we all were and how many of us there were and then she could cook the right amount of steak actually Ian might have been cooking the steak uh, but but so to get the right amount of steak now as it happened you see I thought this was going to be a great sermon illustration because there would have been exactly the right amount of steak but as it happens one person didn't turn up so there's a bit of steak left over so I thought no problem it's still going to be a great sermon illustration because I bet Ian eats that that night after we've all gone no he didn't he told me yesterday he'd left it till the morning you just can't get the staff, can you, to be honest with you? But you get the idea, yeah? You know, the, you're going to get the steak, you get the right amount of steak, and then it's all gone, so there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing for the morning, nothing left behind. And you also notice there further down that uh, you've gonna be, you're going to be, you're going to eat this meal like you're ready to go. I like to eat my meals uh, in slippers and with my feet up in front of the telly right this is not what this is about this is you've you've got your you've got your you've got your walking staff you've got your shoes on you've got your coat you're ready to go they, they eat it because you're leaving the bread is made without yeast in verse 8 because there's no time for the bread to rise you, can, you can't you can't hang around get the bread you're going to go no leftovers get dressed you're ready the Israelites have probably been doing their, their normal work up to this point. They've probably been busy making bricks and all that kind of stuff. The, the sense of this is, forget all that now. Put all that stuff aside. This is a new beginning. We're going. Get ready. Be ready. Well, thirdly then, what is the significance of all those instructions? What's the the significance of these detailed instructions our third point then i've called the blood certainly it's true and this is like this is true of so much of the bible is that it, it's important and true and critical for the people at the time it's important and true and critical for people at other points in history and it's true and important and critical for us today so certainly this is important and significant for for these israelites this is the night they've dreamed of this is the night they've been crying out to their god for having heard the stories about the god of abraham and isaac and jacob having having seen and experienced the the power of this sovereign god through the through the first nine plagues they now understand they now understand a lot better who God is, who this God is, and, and they've been crying out to him for, to be released, to be let go, to for mercy. And that's going to happen. That, and that's going to be a, a, an incredible thing for them. But even more importantly, they are going to understand what, what words like justice and mercy mean. There's going to be judgment because verse 12, God is going to pass through, through Egypt and strike down the firstborn of people and animals. And he's going to bring judgment on those false gods that the Egyptians have been trusting in. Those powerless false gods that they've been relying on. So they're going to understand judgment. Talk about a... a a clear exercise in judgment 
Before that night is over, there will be death throughout Egypt. Not, not, not mean, unearned death. Death that has been earned through, through, through sin and rebellion against God. But they will also at the same time understand mercy. They will understand mercy because God will provide a way. He's going to provide a substitute that is acceptable for their sins. An acceptable substitute for the firstborn of Israel. And and so they will remain in their houses and they're going to put their faith in this God of judgment and mercy. They're going to put their faith in him. And that by following his instructions, by putting the blood at the top of the door and the sides of the door, that as he has said in verse 13, it will be a sign And when God sees that, he will pass over those households. He will pass over those families because a substitute has been put in place. The nation of Israel will be set free on this night. but also they will be saved from the righteous judgment of God. So when he says in verse 12, I am the Lord, they know that he is the Lord. And they know a bit more of what that means. The Apostle Paul Writing uh, much later in the book of Romans says this, For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. The name and the power of God, who he is and what he does. But, but these events, as I said, are also critical for the nation of Israel going forward. This is, this is like the founding, uh, very much a, a founding uh, narrative of where they, where they have come from. We'll see it referred to throughout the Old Testament in lots of different ways. It's a really big part of their identity as a nation. And if I might quote the great Dolly Parton at this point never forget where you came from because it's part of you today being passed over in Egypt the the liberation after 400 years of slavery in a foreign land the demonstration of their God's power his majesty his judgment and grace the leadership of Moses all the events of these few few chapters become foundational to the character and identity of Israel and and they still are in some ways I'm going to leave a lot more of that to the speakers who we're going to hear about in the next few weeks or else I'm going to be in trouble for treading on their toes you'll hear more about that come back next week but thirdly these events are critical for Christians I'm sure that that most of you have spotted how the sacrifice of these lambs in Egypt points to the death of Jesus and his sacrifice. This is Jesus 
This is, this is a picture, an image, a pointer towards the, the, the death of Jesus, the slaughter of these lambs. These lambs would have been slaughtered at the, about the time of day when Jesus died. These lambs were to be without blemish or defect as Jesus was. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, the Apostle Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God is perfect and so so only a perfect sacrifice is going to satisfy him. But, But what can be a perfect sacrifice for our sins? Who or what is unmarked by evil or darkness that can stand in our place before God, who can be our substitute, only Jesus? Yes, certainly he was a man who was tempted in every way like we are, but he never sinned. This this creating, sustaining person of God the Son, eternal with God the Father and Spirit, leaving the eternal praise and glory in heaven that was rightly his to come to earth to die in our place to rise from the dead in order to call his people to himself and seal us to him forever a lamb without blemish or defect the lamb of god It is what these lambs achieve where we we really see the comparison. These lambs achieve for the people of Israel what Jesus has achieved for billions of people. Jesus was sacrificed in our place so that when we are faced with the judgment by God for our sins, he will not condemn us to eternal death, but instead will pass over us. Why would he pass over us? Somebody has to pay the penalty for that sin. A good, a good God cannot let evil go unpunished and still be called good. Friends, do not doubt that our, serious is so, our sin is so serious that somebody has to die. But God will pass over us because a sacrificial lamb has already been killed in our place we put our faith in jesus the lamb of god we we hide behind his sacrifice his blood was spilt for us and we trust that when god comes to judge us and looks at us he will verse 13 see the blood of his son and pass over us he will pass over us as he sees as he saw the blood on the doorposts in Egypt and passed over them. We trust that God will be satisfied perfectly, completely by the blood of his son, by the sacrifice of Jesus. That that was enough, like the lamb was enough. There's nothing else. There's nothing additional. There's not... There's not something else the Egyptians have to do. The lamb is enough. In this then, 
as God's people, we are free. We have been freed as the Israelites are freed that night. We're freed from slavery to sin and death. Like the Israelites, we're now free to go, free to follow God, wherever that may lead, wherever that may go. And if we've missed the connection to Jesus from this passage, then the Bible goes out of its way to to tell us and to correct us. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He uses that title twice in John chapter 1. Throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is portrayed as a lamb that was slain. That that is a lamb that is worthy to open the scroll, as as Ian was sharing with us on on Tuesday. That lamb is, is there at the renewal of creation he's there as as the lamb has a wedding feast the lamb has 12 apostles in revelation 21 the references are there in so many ways drink yes there are other great ways christians think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, so like paying, it's paying a debt that's impossible to pay. Think of it as restoring a broken relationship. But this picture, this picture of, of sacrifice of a substitute, what theologians call substitutionary atonement, that is the sacrifice of one person to fully satisfy the penalty for the sins of many. A penalty that they could never pay. That is at the very centre of the Christian faith. The substitution of these lambs for the firstborn of Israel points us to the substitution of Jesus for all of his believers. I found this helpful. John, John Stott wrote this. Famous guy. John Stott. The concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Read that again. The concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Fourthly then, how should we respond to this sacrifice? The blood of Jesus has been spilled to save us. What should we do? I guess in our culture, the idea of being passed over uh, has some negative connotations. You know, sometimes people are passed over for promotion at work, perhaps which may or may not be a blessing, depending on the job, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, people are passed over on selection for a sports team, perhaps. Uh, in actual fact, being passed over by God in this way is a 100% positive thing. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then, then please know that we're so glad that you've joined us. Can you see the way in which God has always been perfectly good in his judgments, 
condemning those who break his good law and yet at the same time perfectly merciful to those who will put their faith in him. Whether that is the people of Israel long ago putting blood on their door frames, whether it's uh, the people of Israel after the Exodus uh, with their festivals and sacrifices, or whether it's Christians today turning away from their sins and doing their best to live a Christian life. <coughs> Friends, everyone will be judged. Everyone will be judged as on that night when God passed through Egypt. What are you putting your faith in? Like Pharaoh, are you trusting in your own limited human power? Like the Egyptians, perhaps, are you trusting in things that are not God, but you're, you're treating them like they are things that can't save you? Or will you follow the example of these Israelites, of, of loads of people in the Bible? Of, of perhaps your friends, perhaps your family, people who you know, and put your trust and faith in God. Trusting in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God in order to be saved. This, whether you realise it or not, is your greatest need in life. It is time for you, like the Israelites, to make a new beginning. One that you'll always remember. One that will be fundamental to your identity. If you want to talk about that, if you want to talk the relevance of these, these chapters uh, of Exodus, please come and talk to me afterwards or someone who's up here on the stage. If you're here today and you're a Christian, please, please take note of what, has, what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It is faith you have through, it is faith that you have been saved by, not by what you have done. We're saved because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. We're saved because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. We need to constantly be reminded and go back to that truth. It's the centre of what we do. But did you notice as well how the Israelites were ready to go after this meal? When we become Christians, we, we leave a life of slavery and sin and we follow in obedience to Jesus. And that is very much a new beginning. It's very much about being counted amongst the people of Israel, as uh, people of God, as Israel is described here, as this, this whole community of Israel. But it's also a sense in which we go. Matthew 28, when Jesus is instructing his apostles, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples. Let me be clear, yes, that might mean going a long way. You might be going a long way for Jesus. Some of you have gone a long way for Jesus already. Some of you have travelled thousands of miles from your own countries of birth to be here. God might be calling us now to go somewhere. He might be calling some of us to be missionaries in a far-off land 
God might be calling you to go all the way to the other side of the room where you are. Perhaps he might be calling you to go all the way to meet with a work colleague, to disciple friends, to meet neighbours. It might be that you're called to go and cross a cultural divide. It might be that you're being called to go into a hard situation for God. There are so many ways in which Christians are called to go, but we are called to go. The Christian life has a sense of movement. I think perhaps some of the the most challenging words Jesus speaks in the Bible were to his disciples when he says to them, follow me. And they do. You want a scary command? You want a challenging command? You want something that's going to really stretch you? Those two words, follow me. That can, that's a scary instruction, but it's a really worthwhile one. If, if you're a young person here today, perhaps you're, you've given your life to Jesus or you're thinking of giving your life to Jesus, consider what, what it means to follow Jesus. You might be concerned uh, about the career you might follow, the places where you might go and live, whether you'll have a family or not. Those are good and important questions. Some of us are still trying to figure those out, to be honest with you. But remember that Jesus is more concerned with how you behave at school than your exam results. He is more concerned with how you behave in the workplace than your job you do. He's more concerned that you are salt and light where you are, where you lived. He is more concerned with how we follow than where we follow. This part of Exodus, indeed much of Exodus, helps us answer, answer the important question that is the title of these sermon series. Who is like you? Who is like you? The answer is no one. No one is like God. And yet that God for all his power and majesty tells us to follow him. And so these these parts of Exodus can help us understand more about who God is and who we are. When God says, I am the Lord, verse 12, that is a statement of truth. It is a statement of power. It is a statement of beauty. And this passage helps us to explore all of that. Pharaoh and his magicians, the Egyptian gods, Moses, the congregation of Israel... Present-day politicians, influencers, celebrities, our spouses, our parents, none of these come anywhere close to God. None of these come anywhere close to the God who says, I am the Lord. None of them come anywhere close to the God who, across we've seen across this book of Exodus, has acted with power, and patience and passion. None of them come anywhere close to the Lord who loves justice and who loves mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example 
from this night of Passover, a unique night, a night that never happened again. A night that is there to teach us what we should be looking for in the death of your son. That teaches us that our sins, they are many, and your mercy is more. Events that teach us that our role surely is to glorify you, to glorify the Father, to glorify the Son, and glorify the Spirit, because the Lord is our salvation. Lord, help us to understand that our faith is placed in a substitute that you have provided, the Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for giving us your Son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you.